Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, the podcast where we speak to all kinds of great entrepreneurs and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. This episode is brought to you by Unbound Merino, offering versatile, high-performance, and sustainable clothing that is antibacterial and odor-resistant. For more, visit unboundmerino.com. That's unboundmerino.com. Today is my conversation with Mark Segoss, who's the co-founder at Buddha Brands Company. The company's hugely popular Thirsty Buddha coconut water is flying off retail shelves and is a market leader in natural organics. You've probably seen the coconut water alongside Hungry Buddha, their snacks, and their keto bars, which are hugely popular. And in this conversation, we discuss, obviously, all of those products. In addition to the state of play in grocery and organics, tech trends in the food sector and what lies ahead, how consumer behavior has changed and what changes might be permanent, We also get into challenges related to hiring, work culture, and leadership, and way more. And with that intro out of the way, let's get to the show. Okay, so so give me the state of play in the world of natural organics right now. What's going on? What has changed? And where are things heading? Well, you know, health and wellness, uh, just overall well-being, in my opinion, and from everything I've discussed with other people in the space, other founders, uh, you know, retailers, they just feel like in a year where you couldn't travel, where just a lot of things had stopped in regards to our, our traditional behaviors and habits, I think a lot of people took a, slowed things down and took a more mindful approach to how to better their lives. Um, from a health perspective, from a spiritual aspect, family, um, you know, whatever, exercise, whatever. And for us, it's it's been great. I mean, in the sense that people are, are, are just slowing things down and taking the time to, should I eat this or should I not eat this? How can I eat something similar, but it's got less sugar or it's got maybe, you know, uh, cleaner ingredients in it or it's plant-based? So it's it's done wonders for our industry. And I don't think it's ever going to slow down. I think it was already going in that direction. I think something like COVID really just sped it up. But the flip side of this is that people are watching their pocketbook, mm-hmm. right? And cutting expenses and paring back. So given that 
you know, natural organics uh, tend to be more expensive. This is a category that has appealed to a higher income demographic, at least previously. How do you explain that side of things? We started the company at a time where, you know, there was a lot of economic unrest. And the one thing I noticed at that time was when people can't control external factors and when they really start prioritizing what matters or should matter most to them, they will just reallocate dollars spent. So I'll give you an example. 2010, when we started the business, the one thing I could see and hear over and over again was, yeah, our customers are maybe just not going out and buying an extra pair of shoes this year or a few extra pairs of shoes or an extra coat or going you know, on an extra trip or whatever. They are looking to reallocate dollars to their health, which they can control. And, you know, not to say they're not watching their dollars uh, and watching their pocket. They're just being a little bit more mindful and a little bit more um, invested in the stuff that they can actually control. And I mean, we've seen it. I mean, we've seen it across the board. I mean, you know, a lot of people started cooking at home. I, I can tell you that, you know, cooking ingredients, baking ingredients in the natural organic portion of most of the retailers in, in Canada and in the U.S. saw people looking for not just, I'm going to go bake cookies for my family. It was now I'm going to go and bake a better version of a cookie that's healthier, better ingredients, lower sugar, more nutrients. And so that's just really what it's come down to is, is you know, people will just invest a little bit more in themselves because it's something that they can control right now. Is this reflected in the data in terms of what's flying off the shelves in grocery stores? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember uh, the last time we talked, you mentioned that you know non-perishables were going crazy. Like people were really stocking up last March, last April. How have things balanced out, or have they? Oh yeah, you know, um, a lot of things have kind of changed and. I can give you an example because we play in that space where Keto Bars uh, has been the product that we launched about a year ago, and it's just been you know an absolute success story for us right out of the gates. And I can give you a whole insight into that category real quick. So the bar category got hit more than almost any category in a grocer's stores in 2020 due to the simple fact that people were not on the go as much. So when you think of a protein bar, you think, I'm going traveling. I'm going to the gym, I'm going to the office, and that just came to a halt. So, you know, you've seen, you saw anywhere between 30 to 60% decline in that set, in that category in store. And the bar category is a big part of, you know, uh, many retailers, grocers, stores. I mean, there's just hundreds of bar brands. And so what we saw then as we dove into the data was every bar brand got hit hard, but the only bright spot within that was any bar that was attached to a diet, whether it be Atkins, Paleo, Keto, whatever. I don't think this trend will end. First of all, the bar category will bounce back. We've already started seeing it. People are mm-hmm. on the go more. Mm-hmm. People are getting back to work. They're going to the gym. Whatever, they, whatever they're doing, they're trying to get their life back to the way it was pre-COVID. But now I think what you're seeing is just look at, consumers are now saying, okay, I had the time in the last 12 months to take a deeper look into what I'm consuming. And so they're being more specific about what they're purchasing. To your point about the exception being that diet group, when you say that 
keto bars, for example, are among that exception. Doesn't this just become a marketing and positioning problem for brands? Like if they didn't have that language on their packaging, couldn't they make that change and then see a meaningful shift in the numbers? I think the consumers have started to speak. And yes, you're right. A brand could say, well, we need to change the message on packaging in our story. But I mean, that's that happens all throughout history of brands evolving is, you know, trends and themes and patterns will start to shift and change. And the brands that can see this coming, if they can get ahead of the curve, they're the ones that, you know, probably survive and thrive. But we see some that are just not changing or morphing. And the, the question is, will they be too late to the game where they have literally, you know, pushed themselves, their own selves out of the arena? How do you track the momentum of which diet is got the most legs, which diets are dying? How does it impact the company over time? There's a few things that have to happen. A is, you know, what are the needs that you need as a creator? And where do you see opportunities within the market? Because there's so many. So we knew keto was was hot and it wasn't slowing down. And it, and it aligned to what we were already kind of living. I mean, I, I can tell you there's one specific retailer online, e-com retailer in the U.S., where paleo still remains their number one diet product. Who's that? Thrive Market. Who you deal with. Yeah. And I was blown away. And I, I, and I knew when they started that paleo was, you know, one of their their pillars. I mean, that's kind of like the early, early stages. And then, you know, I, I think I had heard that one of the founders was also keto. And so it was interesting that paleo is still one of their highest consumed categories in regards to diet associated with product. So if you went on Thrive, you know, chances were, you know, you were you were probably a hardcore paleo consumer. Uh-huh. But to actually like rank that based on region, yeah, you can do it. I mean, there's all sorts of data you can pull. I mean, you can just pull brand data. US News and World Reports best and worst diets of 2021. Latest rankings feature everything from Mediterranean diet to the popular keto diet. So US consumers are searching for keto. So the pillars technically are healthy fat, low sugar, clean protein. So if you looked at the four, we'll call them the four hottest diets in the United States right now, it would be number one would be keto. Second would be a vegan diet. Third would be gluten-free and fourth would be Atkins. And they showed on this chart from 2015 to 2020 and I'll send this to you because it shows basically keto in 2015 was like at the rock bottom. And since then, it's basically done nothing but but surge. Veganism hasn't gone up too high since 2015. It's always just really, really held that steady position across the board. Gluten-free, I mean, I think that's been around forever. And it's just really, it's just right now, I would say it's it's for most people is probably a very common way of of eating and living for those who are gluten intolerant. And then the Atkins had its real, real heyday in like around, you know, early 2000s and then uh, had a bit of a spike on in, in 2015. And it's kind of tapered off, but it's still there. It's still relevant. It's still number four out of all the diets. Hmm. Paleo had its had its real momentum 2010, and it has decreased over the last 10 years. You mentioned... Thrive Market, who I want to ask you about, but also these other digital powerhouses like Amazon and others. How do these digital companies 
compare uh, in terms of you know your dealings as a company with them versus that of a retail giant like a Costco, a Kroger, a Walmart, a Whole Foods, et cetera? I mean, it's so different. They all do something different. I mean, I, you know, when you look at when I go into a store now and I'm ready to buy something for the first time, there's a portion of me that'll just buy it, give it a shot. And there's another portion of me that I'm going to Google search it right away on the spot. And so if that directs me to their site or if it directs me to Amazon or Thrive or whoever, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm usually looking, especially these are, this is, I'm talking about new products. I'm looking at some sort of reference, some sort of more intel that will educate me better on this product. And so I can imagine I'm not unique in any way and that a lot of people do this. And so once you get hooked on a product, you may go and see it in store. You may go and do your research while you're in store, both you know by reading the package or looking on your phone for more info. You'll buy that product in store. And then you may just hop on an Amazon or Thrive subscription after if you love the product and that's it. And, but it's different because I mean, we do business with Costco as well. And, you know, I think Costco has done a phenomenal job at basically becoming the pantry loader provider. So we sell it by a 14 count case. So we have 14 bars in a case. That's what we sell at Costco. It's very interesting because you're basically asking somebody to, to part ways with 25 plus dollars to buy a product for the first time. But that's the mentality that Costco has done. I'm not certain how many people actually Google when they're in store. Like I, I watch, I go to Costco, I watch consumers tr look at products for the first time. You know, do they pull out their phone? Do they look to see what they're buying? Or is it just uh, what we hear from Costco in particular mm -hmm. is that they have gain such trust with their members that anything they put in store is if it's you know especially looking at natural organic products is we've vetted it for you you're in good hands aren't they the leader in organics now probably from tonnage oh yeah them and walmart for sure i, I mean, mean it used to be whole foods but i don't think whole foods is in the top three no no i mean whole foods definitely sets the tone for trends whole foods is a great example of 500 stores that were scattered out throughout the United States that all pulled from different distribution centers. Some had their own buyers. Most, a lot of regions had their own buyers. So they were trying to do a lot of local, but it's very hard to continue to scale and make profitable a business like that. Mm -hmm. And so when Amazon acquired them, they made sure that it was, it, things were kept tighter, it kept more aligned. And what that does is it slows down the process or the opportunity to bring in stuff that's a little ahead of the curve. Just looking at these numbers, they're insane. So in 2016, um, you mentioned membership. So Costco had 87 million members in 2016. That number increased to 90 million in 2017, 94 million in 2018. And in 2019, they had uh, 98 and a half million members. And wrapping up this little graph, 2020 saw Costco members reach the 105 million member mark which is insane. But interestingly enough, Costco, rewinding back through Costco history a little bit, was the first company to grow from zero to three billion in revenue in under six years. They've created a way of shopping, mm -hmm. right? Like they've created a, a mindset of shopping and consuming, which is, and they've built the trust. Like I said, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm going in to buy a bigger size three pack of mustard. It's now when I go in and I see a brand I've never heard of, it's natural, it's organic, or it's keto or whatever, I believe that Costco's got my best interest. 
Like if you just look at the momentum behind direct delivery apps like Skip or DoorDash or Uber Eats, then there's these um, the entire meal kit category actually has exploded this year. Yeah. So I don't know what happens, you know, post COVID if people, you know, stop some of this behavior. Like, do you see food tech categories slowing down in, in certain areas? Or do you think that we're at the point where consumer behavior has changed permanently? I don't know. I think people are, I think there's going to be a lot of, I think in the next little while, and this is based on just me speaking about myself here is there's a lot of pent up stuff that I want to go out and go to socialize. I want to go to a restaurant. I want to go to a friend's house to have dinner. I want to do those things. So does a meal kit subscribe to me? Probably very low on the totem pole. Yeah. They were basically dying on the vine before COVID. Like I can't believe the kind of bellwether that the pandemic was for these meal kits. Like, even if you just look at the stock values of companies like Blue Apron, um, you mentioned Good Food, who is publicly traded, HelloFresh as well. You look at these stock values, you know, pre-pandemic, so early 2020, um, if I've got that time right, versus where those stock prices are at now. And it's insane. Um, and whether it's just momentum in the moment or this is long-standing consumer behavior that's changed permanently that said you know covid really saved these companies of all the things that are are, are put into our scope and our world in a year how many actually stick and like when i was saying before like i don't know anything it's like well, none of us do i mean there, you know i think a lot of times when you see people with success in predicting you know innovation or changing behavior or consumption habits or whatever they're only, it's kind of like after the fact, right? Like, yeah, I, I saw this coming, but it could have gone the other way. So I think for us, when we, when we look at the bar category, people are like, are you concerned that people won't be on the go? And I said, no way. We are social creatures. And the craziest thing was we saw during the pandemic where people were feeling more alone and isolated than ever. And it's dangerous. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people were more concerned about just mental health for so many people. And and even, you know, I was talking to people who own companies as well. And, you know, they were very concerned for their workers and their colleagues, like, because everyone was working from home. The workplace is an interesting one because the way I see it is millennials and Gen Zers, they rush back. Like, they are dying to get out of their condo and, and get back into the workplace because the workplace is their university daytime campus. Mm-hmm. That's the place they meet people. That's the place they date. Um, meet someone that they want to build a relationship with intimately. Um, those are the folks they go out for drinks with after work. Um, but I think it's a different calculus if you are settled down. It's called Gen Xers and above. I don't think they rush back. You know, it's it's a very valid point. And I think the only thing I can say to that is, but for how long? I think these are important questions, not only for us to think about as individuals, but also to think about as stewards of companies. I I talked to a lot of people about culture and it wasn't that companies had bad cultures prior to, it was, was ownership and leadership doing the best they could to make everyone feel as comfortable as they could. And I'll tell you, I'm assuming just based on what I've heard, a lot of companies failed at that. And the only reason they can get off the hook on that is because nobody had ever encountered a pandemic like this before. So how do you navigate that? Like you feel like, well, okay, you're working from home, you, you know, you're, you're getting paid, business is still good, you're okay. But that wasn't the case. But nobody was really talking about it. 
And we started doing like virtual happy hours and things like that. But, you know, I, I think it, it had to dive deeper. And, I, and I, if I could rewind time, I would probably, and we've started doing things now where, you know, we're bringing in um, some really good speakers and we're bringing in some more learning events and we're offering, you know, our team members, if, you know, anybody does need any kind of therapist or any kind of, you know, coach or whatever to work with to help them through anything, we're there to support. But if I could rewind time, I would have offered that right out of the And I did. Yeah, but to your point, you didn't know didn't know. Um, you didn't know how this thing would unfold. Looking back, um, just as a founder CEO, and how would you score yourself out of 10 in terms of leading your company through this? Uh, I can give it to you in two two portions. The, the first portion, terrible, probably a two. And then the back portion, I would say an eight, nine. I'll give an eight. Nobody's a nine. But, you know, I, I, I would say we did, a, we, we learned, but it, it took us a good six months to get it to really understand it because, you know, we were, we were growing, we were shipping product. We had new product in the market. The winds were coming in. Uh, like I said, like the food businesses did, did very well. And so we were just grinding. We were grinding. We were working hard. We were shipping product. We were making sales. We were getting new business. You hiring? We, we had gone through a period where we, when COVID first hit, and this is what I'm saying, like in the beginning, we, things weren't handled always the best way. It was we had to let a few people go because when COVID started, all the grocers loaded up. They loaded up their warehouses. They stocked their floors because you know you know what was going on. I mean, people were ravaging the shelves. And then all of a sudden, so that was March. And then April hit. And every all these grocers, all these big guys already, they had loaded up so much and nobody could see this forecast. And everything just fell off a cliff. Everybody had a terrible April, except for maybe toilet paper manufacturers. <laughs> and so we had to let go of a few people. We were, you know, still self-funded. Money was, you know, we were we had a big team and we had to let go because we were trying to get ahead of everything. And then May started getting a little bit better. And then we never looked back after June. And so we've now started adding more people to the team and getting things to where we we believe we're continuously setting the, the table for the growth that we can foresee coming. And yeah, so, I mean, when it first started, no, it, it, nothing was handled right. But I don't know how many people did handle things that right. I mean, there were some of the biggest brands I'd read stories about, like world-renowned companies that didn't get it right in the beginning. What's the next chapter for you guys? Is it an acquisition? What's the end game? We can go any which way we want to go. We can raise cash, we can sell, we can, we can do whatever we want. We can get into different categories. I mean, right now for us, we know where our pillars stand, which is low sugar, plant-based, clean ingredients. To me, those pillars are more important than just saying we're keto or we're vegan or we're gluten-free or we're non-GMO or we're organic. So I really like those three pillars. So when you ask what's next, those three pillars play a big part of it, but the biggest part is the people portion and then asking the proper questions along your team to get to, you know, where are we going to really go? Because where we're going right now, just in what we're doing today in the bar, I mean, there's bar brands out there that have done a quarter of a billion dollars. What's wrong with that? I mean, Daniel, who founded Kind Bar, just sold to Mars for $5 billion last year. You know, I mean, yeah, they had a couple of product offshoots. I think they did some granolas and cereals, but five billion is not bad. 
and they were just, just yeah and it's 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 just hard to ignore all of this MA stuff and this has been going on for years now like i'm, I'm rewinding yeah. back to general mills who bought lara bar in 2008 that kicked off a frenzy of snack and energy bar startups and more MA activity it's all well and good what you're saying but you know a five billion dollar check sounds incredibly attractive so you know i think the i think a lot of brands will say this is where we're going this is what we're doing and I, and I just wonder how many of those actually come to fruition. Mm-hmm. I think what you need to do is you need to have a general idea of where you want to go, which we do. But I'm going to put a huge emphasis on the people that we surround ourselves and the questions that we ask. Because anybody I know that has morphed their business, sold their business, did a case, went public, very few of them had the exact line of sight to what was going on right from wherever they were. It was really about, and I'll use, um, I'll use this one brand. I won't say who they are just because I know the founders and I, and this is more of a private story, but I'll give you, they created a brand about four or five years ago. The brand in the last six months sold for well over a quarter of a billion dollars, a four year old business in the natural organic space. And one of the founders basically said was, you know, I, I only knew so much I knew where I wanted to go, and then I brought on others that showed me an even better way and a better path. And they kept digging and digging and digging and going deep until we ended up getting a crazy acquisition. They acquired This company acquired us for more than we ever thought this would go to in the shortest period of time we ever thought possible. So I think what happens with a lot of entrepreneurs is they just always feel that they can control and chart the path to the promised land. And I just, I don't buy that. Where else can people find out more info on Buddha Brands, Mark, and you personally? Yeah, for for Buddha Brands, go to buddhabrands.com. Check us out on social as well too. Our Instagram uh, account is awesome. And, um, you know, for buddhabrands.com, our site will be going live probably in the next 30, 45 days with uh, e-com. And uh, for myself, you know, LinkedIn, you can reach me on Instagram as well. Um, or just reach out to me, mark at buddhabrands.com, M-A-R-K, mark at buddhabrands.com. Mark, pleasure as always. Adam, thanks a lot, man. Always great chatting with you. That's it, guys, for today. Thanks so much for listening. E2 is brought to you by Scriberbase. Want to build recurring revenue for your business? Visit scriberbase.com for more info. If you enjoy the show, download, share, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us at glow.fm e2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. DC, I host the rock podcast back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to back to the arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. 
We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Electrocast.